0: Welcome to College Art Association's Marketing Podcast. My name is Amber Hawk Swanson. I'm a video and performance artist also working in photography. I'm also a grants and professional development consultant. We're gonna dive right in and define marketing for artists. When we talk about marketing for artists just as we talk about marketing for any other profession or any other business, we are talking about the overall image or the overall message that we're sending out into the world, in our case as artists, certainly about our art, but also not to be ignored about ourselves. We're going to break down the key ingredients that go into successful marketing strategies and I do hope that much of what we break down ends up sparking new ideas for you and when you have those new ideas I hope that you're sharing them with other artists. We're also going to listen to excerpts from four different interviews I conducted with four different artists who are marketing themselves and who are marketing their art incredibly successfully in new fresh ways. So we can look for to hearing their perspectives. Before we break down these ingredients that go into marketing strategies and before we hear the excerpts from these interviews of the four fabulous artists I've selected to be included in this podcast, I want to make sure that our conversation is focused. I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of writing, preferably before continuing to listen. So whether you do that by typing on your computer or or grabbing some paper to jot down some notes. I'd ask you to gather those materials right now if you're able to, and if not, you're certainly welcome to do these exercises at any time. Perhaps give this podcast a second listen after doing so. In one document or in one piece of paper, you're going to end up listing the things that you know that you're good at and the things you enjoy doing. You can make these as general as you need them to be. If you're someone who'd prefer to get a little more specific as to what may relate to your marketing strategy you'd be welcome to focus your list that way. The second piece of paper, the second document, is going to be your current marketing strategy. So whether or not you consider yourself someone who has marketing strategy, you're gonna spend some time identifying the actions that you currently take to promote your work or to promote yourself, even if that's just the fact that you've shown your artwork to your studio mate, or that you have a mailing list, Uh, you know, certainly even if these items are the extent of your marketing strategy, you're going to write them down It's important to identify our strengths and to assess where we are in the process of creating a successful marketing strategy. And here we go in the third document or the third piece of paper that I've asked you to pull. We're going to create something that will be in progress. So we're going to label it goals for my marketing strategy. And this is something that, you know, if you feel at this point you're ready to jot down some goals, you go ahead and do so. And if not, then continue to listen to the podcast and jot them down as you listen. You may use this piece of paper to also write down the ideas that come to you as you listen. You may end up reframing those ideas. Into goals. Same with this fourth document or this fourth piece of paper that I've asked you to pull. This is something that you'll come back to after you've listened and after you've perhaps done some further research or taking some time to reflect upon what you've heard, this is where you will write a semi-final, I say semi-final because I hope you're revisiting it on perhaps a monthly basis, but a semi-final version of your marketing strategy. And you're gonna post it where you work, whether that's your studio or your office, depending on what kind of work you make, you're going to post this marketing strategy somewhere that's visible to you. Now I'm going to list the key ingredients that go into a successful marketing strategy. Number one on this list is of course the artwork itself. The rest of these ingredients don't make sense if the artwork doesn't exist so please continue to protect the time that you take for yourself to make your work. But but number two on the list is high quality work samples. We are going to come back to high quality work samples for several components of our marketing strategy so please underline high quality work samples on your list. Number two are brief descriptions accompanying your work samples. Of course we need to keep track of the title, the media, the dimensions, and the date for each piece that we create. But we also need a one to two sentence brief description for each piece. This is going to help us when we start talking about elevator pitches, but it will also be critical for our web presence, getting that really punchy two sentence description. Is critical so once again we've got artwork itself we've got high-quality work samples we've got brief descriptions accompanying the work samples the next item on this list is an artist statement very next on the list is an artist resume if you're applying to teaching positions you also need to have a CV in fact I encourage artists regardless of if they are pursuing teaching positions to keep both a one-page artist resume and a CV where they've kept a really comprehensive list of all of their accomplishments and exhibitions. Next we're going to want to make sure that we have a biography of course written in third-person. We need business cards that have our name and contact information. We also need an artist packet, or a package. That's going to include all of the ingredients that I've already listed, plus printed versions of a few of those high-quality work samples, and a CD of digital files of your work samples, a a DVD if you're a video artist. You'll also, in this artist packet, want to include one to two exhibition reviews, and a very tailored cover letter that is relevant to the person this packet is going to. In fact, you will make a different cover letter for every packet that goes out. Moving on to our web presence, you next want to make sure that you have a website. You may also have a blog. In fact, that's becoming increasingly common. But again, on the mandatory list, you absolutely need social networking accounts. As I record this podcast, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Tumblr are for the most common social networking accounts that I find artists are using. That will change, and new social networking websites will pop up. Make sure that you're staying current with what is making sense at the moment. So the things I'm gonna list next have to do with the in-person version of you, right? So we've listed the things that are kind of imprint, we've listed the things that are online, and now you, live, need a positive attitude and a willingness to interact with others in a way that suits your strengths. We'll come back to that. But another item I'd like to list is an elevator pitch. You may end up drawing from your artist statement to have a few sentences, 30 to 45 seconds, of how you describe your work succinctly. So one of the artist interviews that is included in this podcast a bit later Goes over in a little more detail what we mean by elevator pitch. I'm going to repeat everything very quickly. Number one, the artwork. Number two, high quality work samples. Number three, brief descriptions accompanying those work samples. Number four, artist statement. Number five, artist resume and CV. Third person bio business cards, an artist package that includes everything I've already listed, plus printed copies of those high-quality work samples, a CD of digital files of your work or DVD of your video work, if that applies to you, one or two exhibition reviews, and a tailored cover letter. You also need a website, really preferably that includes a blog or a separate blog, a social networking account. I'll say at least one, though I know that many of us artists are successfully using more than one and that's only to our benefit you also need a positive attitude a willingness to interact with others in a way that suits your strengths, and a prepared elevator pitch okay so now that we've listed those key ingredients that go into successful marketing strategies we're going to hear from the four artists that have been interviewed about their own marketing strategies and what has worked for them You're going to hear them talking about the way they've combined the ingredients that we've discussed to create their own successful strategies. They're going to talk about their print materials. They're going to talk about networking online, networking in person, even organizing events and studio visits. And you're also going to hear them talk about marketing specifically for a teaching position. First, we're going to hear from Sean Fader, who makes lived performance work primarily in photography. Sean is an expert at both in person networking and networking online. So go ahead and grab that goal sheet, jot down ideas as you have them. And keep in mind what you've listed as your strengths. If you hear Sean describing anything that feels like it'd be quite natural to you, consider adding it to your marketing strategy. Sean starts us off by describing that the economic downturn of 2008 and 2009 were major catalysts for a turning point in his career.
1: So the crash was an amazing thing for me. I decided to just invest in my work. So I decided I was going to go to every opening on the planet and talk to anyone that was willing to listen to me, but not about my work. Just talk to them. Find out who they were, how they ticked, what they were interested in, what I could give them. And if they said, I, I've i always been trying to get a reservation at Lupa, I would hand them my card and say, I used to work there. Let me get you a reservation if you'd like. Giving things away, and I think that's really important too, creating friendships where you're giving things to people. And not because you are expecting them to give them back to you, but because When you create positive friendships with people, you're the first name in the front of their brain when an opportunity does arise. And opportunities arise in the strangest of places. A friend of mine worked in a hospital. She said, oh, I really want to see your work. And I just gave her my card. I said, sure. She wrote me a couple weeks later and said, one of my fellow employees looked at your work and thought it was really awesome. And their friend has this online gallery that they do. Would it be okay if I sent your work to them. And I said, well, of course, sure. Within a week, John Feinstein from Humble Arts had contacted me and said, I want to put you in this online gallery. Now Humble Arts was young at that time, but it was an opportunity and they seemed really interested and he seemed really great. So I said, yeah, of course. And now they are a pretty big deal in their curatorial practice, their grants, all these other things, and they've done really well for themselves. And I've continued to have a friendship with all the people over at Humble Arts. I think this all goes back to the idea of friendship, really, for me. And that's how I work. Every time I think about how I've made it, it's by treating people like my friends. I also strive to be a positive influence in people's lives. When I go to an opening, my goal is that I'm not the grumpy, arrogant guy in the corner. I engage with you. Why not? You know, what kind of work do you make? Tell me about you. I engage with them first. I'm a good listener, and I'm interested. People can tell if you're not. Have someone that you can go to openings with, that you can talk to, but if you ditch them for the entire opening, they're totally fine by themselves working a room. You're art wingman, sometimes I even call it. You need to be able to have the freedom, but at the same time have the support. Also, it's something about introductions. If I start talking to someone, and I have a friend with me that they don't know, I say, this is my friend so-and-so, they're an amazing blank. They work at blank. They do blank. And, you know, my great friends always say, This is my friend Sean Fader, he's an amazing photographer, or he's an amazing artist. And they say, oh really, what do you do? And what I oftentimes say is, most people think of me as a photographer. And that gives that person an opportunity to say, oh really, what does that mean? If they want to engage with me, and I think that's really important. Not saying to them, oh my god, this is what I'm doing, doing right now. Then I'll sort of give some rough explanation of what I do. Now I'm saying lived performance. And I give them my 20-second elevator speech about the work that I'm making right now. I make sure that I have the really short version if I see them drifting and not interested. And I've got little chunks that I can insert in there if I see them engaging in part of the conversation. And this isn't about manipulating them at all. This isn't about being a good conversationalist. You don't want to bore someone to tears. And if they're not interested you just move on. It's not that big of a deal. So I have chunks that I can throw in to expand it out if they'd like to hear a little bit more, and I can cut it really short if they don't. If they say, well I'd love to see it, I say, I can show you a couple right now on my iPhone. I'm really excited about this new one. And I start with one that I'm excited about, and if they say, oh my god this is amazing, I have eight more on my phone to show them. This is a great way of getting your work in front of people. Also, In my iPhone, I have something that says Facebook me. So when people give me their names, I have them on a list of people that I should be Facebook friends with. So even if we don't exchange cards, I have contact information for them. I'm not the greatest with names, so I do need to do that for me. I'll forget what their, especially their last names are when I get home. If they say, oh, you should give me your card, I of course hand it to them. If they hand me their card, I say, of course, let me give you mine. Have a good sense of humor about yourself, be able to laugh. I guess what I keep thinking about is positivity, giving things away, being the person that when you walk into a room, if somebody knows you and they're not in the greatest of moods, you put a smile on their face, and keeping in contact with people.
0: So Sean has provided some excellent tips on networking in person and building lasting relationships. He's someone who also maintains an excellent online presence. So I'll ask you to go ahead and Google Sean in order to find out how he's so successfully maintaining a presence on multiple social networking websites. Our next artist is going to talk about just that. Her name is Dorothy Fitzgerald, and she's recently been using a website called Ustream.tv to enhance her online presence. I want to introduce her as a painter who lives in Buffalo, New York. It's important to note that very recently she hosted a Red Dot Affair, she called it, in her brand new studio in order to widen her audience and introduce her core supporters to her new working space. It was during this Red Dot that affair that she had some realizations about how she could tie this in-person event into her really strong online presence. Be sure to keep an ear out for the way that Dottie is also using a new online service to create promotional books about her work that supplement the rest of her print materials. I
2: started to realize that there were other people that were interested following the Red Dot Affair that were not local. That I have collectors throughout the country and international and they couldn't be a part of this but through social networking uh, Facebook, Twitter, they were aware of this event and in order to make them feel a part of it, I had a webcam streaming live that night, and they were able to be a part of the event. I have been experimenting with something on ustream.tv, and that is a site where they do live streaming, and then you can record all your videos and so I started a site, dFitzgeraldArt, at TV. People can watch live, they can chat, and it's free. Some people contacted me and wanted to see more. So my new technique is the Droid phone allows me to have an application that stream live from my phone, and then those videos are saved right on my Ustream site. So the next step was when... A customer contacted me I went into my studio with my phone set up my paintings and started recording painting number one painting number two painting number three and so on and this allowed them to see scale and general features then you just record those videos and they are forever on your Ustream site and then your customer can go or curator can go look at those videos at their convenience. Then the next step is if someone says, well, painting number three is something that I'm very much interested in, I go in, take pictures, post those, onto my blog which now can show scale but also very fine detail images. In this process that I'm in the midst of now, the streaming is the first step. The second step is the blogging because they can go and look and get more of a feel but in the end people are still wanting to see a hard copy of the image. This is where it takes you back to making sure that you have professional images. I then can either email or send send a 5x7 or 8x10 print of the specific images that they're interested in. That seems to be all working really well. At the moment, this is my favorite and most successful attempt at marketing-wide, internationally and nationally. I had the opportunity to go uh, present in New York, and I had 10 days' notice to talk to some curators. Because of my logging of my images and keeping my files up to date... I was able to, within 48 hours, publish two books on blurb, B L U R B dot com. One book was about my blogging, and it was so simple. You just take your blog and they upload it and auto flow it into a format, and you can publish a book for 20 bucks. The second book was a specific portfolio book. I have now discovered that you can upload and order one book at a time, so there are no publishing costs. Currently, I have a contact in California, and they, of course, see my website, my blogging. I have those things in place, but I can now go to Blurb, order a book, and have it shipped right to the gallery in California. California. that is such a relief to be able to fulfill a request immediately. If they ask for a portfolio, of course you can mail the traditional hard copy images to a gallery, but there's something really satisfying about sending a book and paying only as you need it. I have discussed this with local galleries. I've contacted some and asked their opinion on how does that seem, and the gallery owner that I talked to found that the book format is very, very successful, and it's easy. In the book, I made sure that I did incorporate not only images Uh, pieces hanging, details, scale pictures. I also included shots of my inspirations in the book, things that are important to me, and my workspace so that this isn't just a look at my work but a more complete picture of me and who I am. One of the most important things in marketing is that people want to know you and who you are as a person that's intriguing. They look at the artwork but they want to know some secrets. Find a venue that you love and you are comfortable with. I love live streaming. I'm not sure where it's going, but I like the fact that it can show me as a person. I believe that that enthusiasm that I have for that particular format is contagious. My suggestion would be to find a format that you love, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, print material, and really just embrace it and love it and think outside the box. Call people and ask for their help. Generally, people want to help. They want to feel as if they're on the inside track and be supportive of you.
0: Dottie gave us some great specific actions that she's taking in her marketing strategy at the moment. If you're taking notes, I hope you jotted down what she just mentioned about making sure that you're reaching out to folks for help, and about making sure that you're finding the marketing format that you truly love. That's going to shine through to your audience. So you're going to want to create a cohesive marketing strategy. You're going to want the image that you're putting out into the world about your art and about yourself to have a consistent identity. Our next artist is named Leslie Park. Leslie is also a painter who maintains an active website, blog, and Facebook. She is consistently a reliable source of information and will tell you about how.
3: I've been supporting myself for my work for about 25 years, sometimes better than other times. But what I have found is um, what the Girl Scouts told you when you were a kid, the best thing is is to be prepared. I can't tell you how many exhibitions I've received because people know that they can come to me and if I have the work, I'm ready to put a show up. So when people cancel a show, I often get a phone call saying, do you have the work so we can do a show right away? I try to be a very reliable source for my dealers as well as a reliable source of information for art journalists and people like that. A dealer who I had worked worked with in the past but I hadn't been working with recently called me up because he was opening a new gallery in Dallas and he knew I had a couple of connections there and he also knew that I was able to give lectures and so he was hoping that I would come down and they would create some special events and I would speak at these events. Being able to do public speaking and to be entertaining and having a dealer that knew that they could call on me to do that created this opportunity. I ended up being the artist who opened the gallery And from that, I also garnered another exhibition with the same gallery in a different city. And basically, I let them know what I can do for them. And in my case, it's public speaking. For you, it might be something else, being able to do workshops or teaching or special installations or something like that. But if you can create events either around your opening or leading up to it, that's a wonderful way to increase your visibility, especially in a town where you don't have a lot of your own friends to um, to draw into the gallery. Being a reliable source for information for your dealer can also be a valuable asset. Dealers call me up all the time to ask me questions about materials and paints and where restoration can get done and all sorts of things. They, they know I have certain information and they call me for it, but the other thing that comes out of that is they send other people to me too and sometimes it's journalists. So if there is an area where you have some expertise, I would definitely let your dealers know. Be the go-to person for for that sort of thing. But speaking of PR... I never rely on the galleries to do my PR for me. If I'm going to a town, I will write my own press release and create my own story, and sometimes I will give it to them to use as they wish, if they're the type that is organized enough to be doing their PR, and they should be. But it it makes it possible for me to control the story a little bit or make it around the things that I find that are important. People always appreciate it when you have 90% of the work done, because uh, then they can put their energy into to getting it to more outlets or spend their time on other things. So far, because of my um, networking on Facebook, I have received an interview with an e-zine, an offer to teach in Ireland. Uh, an opportunity to have an exhibition with a great group of artists. It works if you work it. The next thing I did was to start writing a blog. I made it not just about me but really about my interest in art history and other artists and traveling for art. That also has developed a kind of synergy working between I post the blog posts on Facebook and you start getting people that are following that and it creates a kind of visibility that you used to have to go to New York to do to show up at openings and things like that. Now we're able to do it in a virtual world. It's not the only way to connect, but it certainly is one way to connect. And I find, for me, it's so valuable because you can connect internationally, which you certainly can't do just going to one city. So that's been very valuable. For me, it was a combination of all the media, putting the blog on Facebook and also putting it on LinkedIn and Twittering the blog and using that as a kind of engine drive traffic to me <laughs> and to my website. And I am really amazed at what a difference this has made in terms of connecting me with people who are interested in what I'm doing, who then suggest really interesting materials to me, and sometimes come up with opportunities for exhibitions, or it seems that there's a lot that's beginning to uh, knit together from all these kinds of connections. With LinkedIn, I sometimes get professional requests. For example, I was asked to review a special kind of website for artists that was in its beginning stages and to test it for them. But you make really valuable connections with people who are curating and buying and selling art and doing art fairs and things like that. And even you have the opportunity sometimes to connect with uh, critics who are willing to engage with artists on Facebook. And I find this all quite interesting, especially since I live in the tiniest town in New York State uh, and quite isolated from any big city area.
0: Leslie is a master not only at making herself part of the conversation, but also controlling the message of that conversation. She is always prepared and is a reliable source of information. These may be things that fit your strength list, so make sure as we continue to listen that we have an eye on those original pieces of paper or documents that we started, where we've identified our strengths, we've assessed where we are currently in our marketing strategy, and hopefully we're continuing to write down either ideas at this point or solid goals for our eventual semi-final marketing strategy that we'll keep posted in our workspace. We've got one more artist to look forward to hearing from. His name is Jules Roscom. Jules is an internationally acclaimed filmmaker, artist, educator, and really longtime activist who has a lot to say about marketing yourself specifically for a teaching position. He has recently completed a successful teaching position search and has some tips to share about creating the perfect cover letter. The way
4: I approach applying for teaching positions is kind of how I approach applying for grants. You need to figure out how to package yourself in a way that is using the language that that institution uses to describe itself and describe what it wants. That means write, you know, rewriting your cover letter for every single job that you apply for. Obviously, you're not throwing out a cover letter and starting from scratch for each one, but also I'm an interdisciplinary artist, so I may play up one element of my practice over another, depending on what the position is, what the institution is, you know, what their pedagogical approach is, all of those things. I think you you really have to spend the time kind of going through a website for an institution, not only looking at what department you're applying to, but the the institution as a whole. What is what is the mission of the school? What is the mission of your particular department? If you can look at any of the stuff the students do, and you'll notice that certain words pop out in how the Department describes itself, or how the school describes itself, and you should use those words in your cover letter. A lot of it is about acknowledging that you're you're selling yourself as a product to an organization or an institution, and you are a reflection of them. So using the language that they use is like this mirroring process that that works. You have to make choices about what feels comfortable to you, leaving large portions of what you do or what you have done out of a cover letter, or adding certain things in to play a certain strengths that are enough there that you can pull from them or mention them. It's a juggling act. It's obviously completely useless and potentially unethical, I guess, to say you do something that you don't really do in a cover letter and then get there and actually have to do it and you can't do it you're a product that you're selling. Not to sound totally corporate about it, but you just have to speak their language. Tailor what you do to what they're looking for. Within reason, of course. You're not lying, but you're just, you're just um, highlighting certain strengths in one cover letter and certain strengths in another. And you may have just one thing that you do and you do it really well and you should figure out how to talk about that. You can get stuck in this in this position where you're desperate or I'll speak from my experience, (laughs) desperate for a job and you're trying to make yourself into something you're not and ultimately applying for jobs like that is a waste of time you're not going to get the job because you're really not well suited for it so you should use your time wisely and spend more time working on the cover letters for the jobs that you uh, actually fit rather than trying to make yourself into something that you're not. It's not useful for you because then you have to go through the rejection of not getting even a phone interview and you just waste your time doing it. Changing your cover letter and that kind of thing for applying for a teaching job is similar to what you're doing in the film world. You have to speak people's language. And so you have to know who you're speaking to. So it's very similar. It's, you know, I might have one project and usually projects are multifaceted. And so I might be talking to someone who's a social justice activist and they might not have, and if I'm fine, let's say I'm fundraising, they, they might not have a lot of money, but you know, any support is, is support. And so I might really play up the social justice activist side of my... Then again, I might be speaking to someone who really doesn't speak that language at all, and so I might be talking about the the film or the piece as a human interest story. This has been useful for me for both for teaching positions or actually more so for guest lecturing and being an artist in residence or getting invited to, to colleges, basically, to talk about my work or to talk about other people's work, is going to conferences and really kind of taking any opportunity you can to present your work or to present a paper. If you don't regularly move in academic circles, if you can, and if you have any interest in that, then it's it's really useful because mostly it's the professors at a particular school in a particular department who are going to be the ones who are bringing you to a school. And the thing about going to schools is they usually have money, or a lot of them anyways, and they they certainly almost all of them have budgets set aside to bring in guest speakers or artists, lecturers, etc. And so if they see you at a conference and presenting on your work, or you you can figure out how to contextualize your work into a larger discipline or spectrum and present a paper or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, then academics will actually be introduced to your work. So, I don't know what the percentage is, but I would say 8 times out of 10 that I've presented at a conference or gone to a conference or any of that kind of stuff, I've gotten a, a job out of it. And almost every time I screen my work anywhere, somebody sees me there, usually a professor or sometimes a student at a college. And they will get my contact info and invite me to their school or their organization. So no opportunity is too small, even if you're not getting paid to do it. If it's easy for you to do, you're not having to spend too much time or energy or money doing it, getting there, etc., do it. So if someone invites you to show your bill but they can't pay you, and you think you might get exposed to a larger group or a group who doesn't know about your work, then you should seize the opportunity. All of those moments are marketing moments.
0: Jules has some really excellent advice as it relates to speaking the language of the specific individual, school, or institution that you're marketing yourself to. That's absolutely the case when you know your audience, and certainly for each of the packets that you'll be sending out in your career, you will know the audience of who that packet is going to. Certainly if it's a job application, you've spent time reviewing the website, if you're sending a packet as a follow-up to a gallery, then you've very thoroughly researched that gallery, and you're making yourself relevant to their needs. When you're crafting something more general like your online presence, please keep in mind that something like your website is a catch-all for all components of your audience. Keep that in mind also as you're crafting your social networking web presences and you're perhaps Facebook friending both professional and personal contacts. You're going to keep your general marketing message broad and cohesive. Then you're going to drill down and get more specific when you're sending those individual packets out. I hope that you've enjoyed this College Art Association marketing podcast and that it sparked some ideas For your eventual in progress, because you'll constantly be rewriting it, but for your eventual in progress marketing strategy, get that strategy posted in your workspace and do research the work of the four artists who have so kindly contributed excerpts of their interviews with me to this podcast, I've linked their websites in the text information section of this podcast. So when you get back to your computer, or if you're there right now, you may click on that text information and take a closer look at each of the fantastic role models that we've heard from today.